0: Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's music row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Today on the show, we'll be hearing from Sylvan Esso's Nick Sanborn and Amelia Meath. They've been making music together since 2013. When Amelia asked Nick, a music producer and bassist, to remix her band Mountain Man's hit single Play It Right. He did, and, as they say, the rest is history. From the very beginning, Silvanessos had a very sleek electro-pop feel to their production. Amelia's powerful voice is front and center, surrounded by harmonies and samples of her own voice. Nick's genre-destroying bass creates intricate pulsing grooves for Amelia's voice to inhabit. Now the married couple and Electronic Duo have released their fourth studio album, No Rules, Sandy. It's a follow-up to the band's Grammy-nominated 2020 album, Free Love. This new album is a mix of improvisation and experimentation, recorded primarily in the span of three weeks at a rented studio space in LA just earlier this year. On today's episode, Bruce Headlam speaks with Amelia and Nick about their creative process and how No Rules, Sandy came to be. They also play songs off their new album, Live for Us. This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here's Bruce Headlam with Amelia Meath and Nick Sanborn of Sylvanesso.
1: Me move, I'm looking fine. Fine, 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 fine Empty highways, open streets No one out here in this heat Round ground is Underground. where they'll be waiting, waiting just for me, <laughs> me There's a lot of people in all down yeah, Here we all fall down When some stay where they got dragged It's a little party right bye 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 bye
2: Thank you so much. That was a live version of Echo Party from Sylvan Esso's new album, which is No Rules Sandy. All That Sound was created by just two people in the studio with me, Amelia Meath and Nick Sanborn. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having us. And thanks for that great version of that song. I will also mention that the new album got a rave review from the New York Times, uh, which does not often give rave reviews. Before we get into how you create so much music, just the two of you, let's talk a little bit about this new album, how it came about.
3: Nick and I have started a tradition where every January we load our car uh, full of things and drive from North Carolina to Los Angeles. This January was no different. We were on our way to go both do a bunch of songwriting sessions and also go to the Grammys at the end of the month and get some Los Angeles sunshine. And then when we got there to our rental, the Omicron variant had spiked and everything was canceled. So Nick and I found ourselves with like a little baby studio set up in this house with no one to hang out with other than each other. (laughs) And so every day we tried to write a song and the most magical part of it was that every time we tried, we could. We wrote all these songs in about the span of three weeks together.
4: Yeah, it was just kind of this magical, totally unexpected time that neither of us really saw coming. And it was all all kind of born out of this wild trip that like where everything went wrong except this. Do you write every day when you're
2: in Durham as well? Or only, only when you have to put out an album?
3: No, I don't. I don't. I I find that when I'm in the practice of Songwriting, it won't be like around a record necessarily, but I'll do it in a short period of time pushing towards something. But normally I have to like chill out between writing. Otherwise, I only write songs about writing songs and you can only write so many of those.
2: (laughs) When you are writing, because you guys, this is electronic music, how does a song typically begin? Does it begin with a loop? Does it begin with a sound? Does it begin with a lyric? How does this come together?
3: It happens in all sorts of different ways. How it's been happening most recently is Nick and I will sit in the same room and will Nick will start making noise and I will encourage him in the directions that I like. So mm-hmm. like if he finds like a beautiful section that he makes, I'll be like, loop that. Let's loop that and then let's build something around that. Or sometimes he's just doodling around and then I begin responding by writing lyrics
4: yeah it doesn't feel like uh, we haven't we haven't ever found like a formula or the minute we do come up with anything that works more than once i think we immediately get sick of it or it doesn't feel as inspiring anymore it's it's kind of uh it's kind of this process of each of us is is trying to kind of shock or surprise the other one into maybe something we wouldn't expect and Mm -hmm. it's yeah it's kind of this jacob's ladder kind of situation where we're trying to hit the ball a little higher than the other one Mm
2: mm-hmm Well, there's a host of great songs on this record. Tell me how this one came about, the one you
4: just performed. Echo Party. Yeah.
3: We got the chorus first, because Nick had that beautiful bass part.
4: Yeah, we had we had like the beat and the bass line and we knew sometimes that's all you need to know something's gonna be cool. Like you know you can see you can't quite quite see the whole song yet, but you have this this piece of it that's so promising that you almost don't wanna mess with it too much for fear that you might overcook it or screw it up somehow.
3: Yeah, that was the loveliest part of this song, was we got the chorus first, and then the chorus had no words. It was just me going like, mm-hmm. yeah. And Nick and I got so stoked, and we kept on trying to play it for other people, and everyone would be like, eh. uh, but Nick <laughs> and I knew chord, that yeah. it was. Nick and I were like, this song's gonna be great. No one, we could only hear it in our heads, though.
4: Yeah, and you then, gotta, you gotta like kind of let it reveal itself.
3: Yeah, and then one day. I just sat, unlike all of our other records, usually I agonize about lyrics, and they either, they either appear right when I'm writing the melody on top, or they are incredibly elusive. But with this record, I just sat down and would make myself just write them out. So like one day we got all the lyrics. I knew that it was gonna be about like being in an empty city at nighttime and like trying to find the party of your dreams.
4: When you had that idea of the of there being less people every time you go back to something. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where that that echo party phrase kind of started happening and that kind of became like the central like everything oh, kind of ended up hooking around that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. So it's about how it fades in every yeah.
4: reverberation. Oh. Yeah.
2: That's really interesting. Now, because of the way the the songs are put together and there are loops and then there's a baseline often very syncopated, are you guys thinking in terms of Conventional chords? Are you like? Do you ever say, "Well, this sounds good," but here I'll, I'm going to play a C minor on top of that because that's how most people write. They sit at a guitar, they sit at uh, the piano, and they play a few chords. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you guys, it feels like you're on a high wire with what you're doing because it doesn't have that sort of harmony running through the yeah, whole thing. Yeah,
4: I think a big thing we do is more like reharmonizing. That's a big. When I was talking earlier about trying to surprise each other, something that I will do a lot is she'll have a melody that we really love. But like, let's say the third time it happens, I I want to, it's like she changed the lyrics change and the the feeling of what she's saying changes, even if the melody doesn't. So like in that way, we'll absolutely think about, you know, more theory kind of based mindset of like, okay, how can I reharmonize the thing she's already doing to kind of change your perception of the same idea? We do that all the time. Mm -hmm. I love that.
3: We do. I learned how to play the guitar during the pandemic and all the songs that I write on the guitar aren't as melodically interesting as the ones that I write in the air or in like in response to what Nick makes. So I'm sticking to that at the moment.
2: Oh, that's interesting. You find it more confining then?
3: Yeah. Or like maybe it's also because I'm a little guitar baby. You know, it's a CDG world for me in the <laughs> guitar. And if I'm just writing in the air, all chords are open.
2: Yeah. It's just much freer. Now, what was your music experience growing up in your home?
3: I'm from a, a theatrical singing family. We used to sing around the dinner table a lot. And um, I grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and there was a solstice celebration called the Revels. So every solstice, we would all get together and sing folk songs.
2: Wow. Were your parents, were they performers or are they just amateurs?
3: Yeah, they were amateurs. My mom was in audio and my dad was in TV, but there's a lot of singing and musicality and creativity.
2: So you grew up on their folk music? Is this like 60s folk music or?
3: Oh, really what we're listening to in the house is like Bonnie Raitt and Foreigner and Nick Lowe. But the songs that we would sing were all, were like a, a mix of those and folk songs.
2: Okay. And then your, I don't know if it's your first career, but... Um, you sing mountain music with Mountain Men, which was your first group.
3: Yeah, Mountain Men. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. And you still perform. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so, and did you play piano growing up then or anything else or it was just, it was just a singing thing?
3: I tried to play piano, but um, or I just hated practicing.
2: Right. Yeah, well. Hated it.
3: <laughs> Couldn't do it.
4: <laughs> yeah,
2: you took piano lessons, which just kills more piano players than
4: anything. 100%. I also think that's one of those things. I was always jealous of people who could sing really well at a young age because I think if you have that you're, you're kind of set. Like nerds like me who didn't have that, I think I that's why I practiced so much cuz I really wanted to be in a band but I like couldn't do the natural thing, you know.
3: Well, but you actually know what
4: you're doing. But only because I've sat for a billion hours looking at charts and stuff like that, you know.
3: I think that's cooler. Also the thing that you do, like I feel like you get to uh relish the experience of having gotten good at something i'm much better at singing than i was when i was six but like it doesn't
4: oh is there no like moment no yeah
3: no it's just a thing you do
4: so you never felt
2: i've achieved this level of expertise no no
3: no okay i don't think so maybe
4: I can see that. Yeah. Well,
2: when when you get your honorary degree from Berkeley, oh my
4: God, what! Then if? I hope you
2: feel, oh my at God. last that you've got once you have that piece of paper,
4: exactly. Oh, then we'll know. Yeah.
3: Oh, what's going to happen when that happens? That's going to be great. <laughs> I'm going to dance all around.
4: Yeah, you're
2: the. Uh, you need the diploma. You're like from the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's that's what great. you need.
3: I love diplomas.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh and nick you need a heart yeah i'm kidding uh weirdly i'm the one without a diploma but yeah
4: it's true okay
2: so so what was your musical experience growing up? oh
4: my my dad's a really great mandolin and guitar player um and so we always were singing in the house and he taught me how to play guitar when i was a little kid and i was just always excited about it like i got you know we could get into orchestra in like the fourth grade or whatever and i was lucky enough to go to a public school that had a music program where Um, was this in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Okay. So that kind of opened. I mean, that was just like massive for me as a kid. You know, being able to being able to do that was uh, was just crazy. So I like you know got into like I think I played like violin or something horribly, and then I started playing saxophone and ended up playing uh, bass in the jazz band. I really loved that. And then when I went to college, before dropping out, <laughs> uh, I was a composition major. Mm-hmm. So, Where was that? you uh, be Milwaukee. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and then
2: we will have to describe your setup. Because um, <laughs> this is electronic music, and I'm looking at a table with a bunch of different modules. Oh, yeah. Uh, including one that has uh, many, many patch chords running <laughs> in or out. Uh, I don't know how to describe it except to say that if your breaker box at home looks like this, Call an electrician. It's just um, utter chaos up here. Tell me what you've got, and can you give me a sample to, or two of the sounds you create?
4: Um, yeah, so we have, I kind of have this whole computer setup that has kind of all the individual little pieces of our songs. Mm-hmm. And it's set up kind of in this like really elaborate DJ style. Like I'm DJing each individual little piece piece of a thing mm-hmm. um so that's one side of it and then i'm sampling amelia's voice and then i also have this whole other side that's all these other instruments uh the the breaker box you were referring to my modular synth is doing a bunch of drums and uh processing and stuff like that um and it's is, all that actually, kind of, is that actually is that a a moog or i'm never sure if it's moog or moog no there is a moog I, I think it's i think it's moog it is moog? Um, okay. there's a moog in here this thing called a d fam which sounds like this it's this little like kind of does a lot of drums and stuff like that right you know it's all getting the clock from the computer but then there's also uh all sorts of little drums in here i've got this little thing that makes kind of a this kind of weird little wavetable thing all this is just to kind of bring like a live edge and uh it's all things where I can replace something that's happening from the record or alter it in some way or stretch it out. I always like it when I see a show and it feels like um, you know there's this beautiful painted picture of the song as it was and then you can go in and just kind of mess it all up Mm -hmm. and then try to snap it back into focus. Um, So all the things are kind of leaning into trying to make something like that happen. I have this little sampler that I use all the time that's got you know, pieces of Amelia's voice or pieces from the records that I can then kind of pitch all around. Now, are you ever
2: sampling her voice live? Oh, yeah. When she's singing? Oh, yeah. You're sampling as well. And then. Yeah, definitely. So, Amelia, is that. Does he often surprise you? He's suddenly your voice. You're hearing your voice in a way you didn't expect?
3: Yeah, I usually have to keep it pretty low in my mix because if you're. If a voice comes in while you're singing, it can pull you off pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, but Nick is able to sample anything. That I sing.
2: Wow. I would say it's a, it's a good thing you guys get along so well.
3: It really is. Because if he wanted
2: to mess you up... He really could. He could mess you up in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And then you sometimes use a drum machine on stage. Is that right?
3: I do it sometimes, but honestly, I really like um, when we're live, I like being able to sing and connect directly with the crowd and mm-hmm. with Nick and have that be yeah.
2: my role. And Nick, you, you are playing this like a DJ. You don't have a keyboard. A traditional
4: Well, I, uh, I do. You know, I do. Normally, we didn't bring it today because we weren't playing any songs that needed it. But I have, I have this one synthesizer that I use a lot, um, but none of it, even that it isn't getting, I don't know how to describe it. It's all live. You know, I'm, I'm playing little arpeggios and stuff over the tops of the songs. Um, but yeah, most of it is just this kind of more abstract way of thinking about it, which is my, that's just my favorite. I like it when something feels a little bit more like an idea, maybe than an instrument, if that makes mm-hmm. any sense.
2: How does that, how did you discover that then after playing guitar, after playing bass, after um, playing mandolin, um, in which you're locked into fairly traditional role? Yeah. What What was your first encounter with this like kind of electronic music and, and what, do you remember what grabbed you?
4: Um, I, th- I think it, the, a big thing for me was when I was playing in the jazz band and I was about to go to college, I kind of had this realization that if I was gonna keep doing what I was doing, I was gonna be practicing like eight hours a day to just try to be a middle level jazz player. Mm -hmm. And I think I kind of started realizing that the idea of what was happening was so much more interesting to me than what I thought I had to say as a player. And so I, I leaned into that and I moved into composition and started going that way. And I think electronic music, was just a natural extension of that. It was like, okay, like I've been pl- I've been in this role playing bass, and and kind of filling this spot within a band, and that's its own skill set. But with electronic music, it was like, well, how do I put this whole piece together? What is this? What does this full picture look like? Um, and that just became way more interesting because I could be the whole band, mm-hmm. you know, and I could try things out without worrying about wasting anyone else's time. There's no set way to do it, and so everybody who gets into it is kind of reinventing their own wheel in a way and that to me is really exciting i love thinking about like systems and how something could work
2: Mm -hmm. now to me one of the things that's interesting about your music you you mentioned you came in with the chorus first on this is um you move from ideas um very quickly if you were in a if you were in a big band or the kind of bands you grew up with you would be, you guys would get a groove and then someone would be soloing, but it's very much about kind of finding that one thing and, and finding people playing over it. This, you move very quickly from, from piece to idea to idea. And just when I think, oh, you know, I like this, and then it, it veers into something else, is that just part of playing electronic music for you? I think
4: we definitely love surprising each other. And I think that makes us lean into contrasts. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think generally speaking, we love having things that feel like there's a bunch of hard left turns being made and that feels really engaging.
3: But it's also pop music. So every part that appears usually comes back unless it's the bridge. Mm -hmm. So like, if it veers, usually it returns once more.
4: That's I think the most interesting part too, is like seeing how hard of a turn you can make and still make it make sense that you got back where you started.
3: Yeah. And live inside the pop music structure.
2: And maybe that's, maybe when I said high wire earlier, maybe that's what it is. That is like jazz and that, like, how far can this guy go in a solo or how far can she go in a solo? Yeah. Is she going to be able to find her way back is always kind of the fascinating question.
4: I love that idea, too, of like communicating intent to the listener, like figuring out ways to show them that they can trust you to make their make your way back or that you're not just going to waste their time. We think about that a lot with things like how, what, how can we design a song or a recording that shows somebody that we we made this wild choice on purpose mm. so that next time we do, you know that we're not going to fake you out. Like we're going to this is all like an equation like we're getting somewhere.
0: We'll be right back with more from Bruce Hedlum, Amelia Meath and Nick Sanborn.
5: Reboot your credit card with Apple Card 2024. Terms and more at applecard.com. Snag a job
0: is where America goes to hire
5: That's T-Mobile.com slash awards I'll save you a seat.
2: We're back with more of Bruce's conversation with Amelia and Nick. Now, Amelia, was your first encounter with electronic music when you guys met?
3: Oh, no. I've always been a fan of electronic music.
2: Okay. What, what in particular was...
3: You know, so I, what did you like? Yeah, I started with ELO naturally, and then uh, got more excited about the the independent music of the early aughts. So, you know, Animal Collective, Caribou, Forte, just the the people who were popular or interesting when I was like a little baby going to shows. And then when and when Nick and I met, it was the first opportunity I'd had. I, I thought to find a a collaborator with whom I could make pop music.
2: Now, there is the story that the first time you met, you asked him to arrange a song that you had written. Is that true?
3: Yeah, it was a song that was for Mountain Man, uh, and I wanted to do a remix album. Mm-hmm. And so I asked Nick. And
2: and that was the first time you'd met?
1: Uh,
3: no, shortly thereafter. Yeah, shortly thereafter. Wow. Yeah, because he opened for us in Milwaukee Yeah. at the Cactus Club. And when we became friends on Twitter, it was like the early days of Twitter when it was nice to be on there. It was like
1: <laughs> when you could like make friends really? and stuff. Yeah. yeah. It was nice.
3: Yes. We had followed each other on Twitter for a little while and I asked Nick for a remix of that song. Um, mostly because so many of Mountain Man's, the arrangements that I would do for Mountain Man were naturally quite sparse. And it took him a really long time.
2: No pressure.
3: Well, it took no
2: him a, pressure, a Nick. A year. A I'm year. glad I didn't know that. Well, what it, did you think if you
4: I, were you guys dating at that point or no, 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 no,
3: band first?
4: Oh yeah, but if I think if I had known that it was going to lead to this, it would have taken me even longer though. I would have been, I would have felt more pressure. Well, that's good yeah. that you didn't
1: know.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Here's my song, yes. No Pressure. Well, it's terrifying too because the thing that's one of the many things that's so special about Mountain Man is just what isn't there. And so the idea of trying to add instrumentation to a mountain man song as a fan of theirs was like terrifying to me. Cause every time I put something in, I made the song worse, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, there was a kind of light in the attic moment when I figured out that if I used their voices as the extra instruments, that that was a way in that was, that kind of unlocked the whole thing for me. And then kind of Defined a lot of what we still do now. I mean, even that last song we played, "Echo Party," that started on a uh, as a loop of Amelia's voice, that little backbeat. Mm-hmm. Like we do that all the time to this day. To explain that to me again, that so like we I took her voice, like she sang. Uh, we were trying to find a way to start. Yeah, jamming so this one day.
3: I did a stack. Yeah, which so was like, ooh, 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 ooh. and then yeah. I did another part on top of that, and. Yeah. And then like another part on that. And then, you know, a thing that we say all the time to each other is, and then we chopped it up and made it into a beat, which is what we did.
4: Well, so, yeah. So then I took this vocal loop of hers and put it in this. uh, What did you call it earlier? The breaker box? (laughs) I put it in the breaker box here. Scary
2: looking break. Well, it's what the breaker box looks like at my place. I I just reminded that my house might be burnt down by the time I get there.
4: But yeah, so I, I just kind of kept playing with it and 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 changing the way it was sequenced and moving the little bits of it around and 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 found that initial loop that little boom 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 boom, boom that little thing just kind of popped out and the minute we found it we were like oh that here we go now we can start okay now you, that you've been doing this Amelia for eight years how has it changed how you sing
2: at first I imagine you were singing and he was grabbing parts of it samples and manipulating it. Wouldn't it become tempting after a few years to like, well, I'm just going to I'm gonna sing a sample. I'm not going to sing the way I used to sing. I'm going to mm. try and sing almost in, in a kind of...
3: In a sampled way? In
2: a sampled or electronic in way. In a yeah. soundbite way? Yeah.
3: I think if anything, I'm more... In order for the samples themselves to be good, you have to be singing... Like, I really have to be solidly in my lane doing exactly what I'm doing. And then the, the sample... Will shine. Mm. Otherwise, if you're being tentative, or if you're not, if you're trying to do something as opposed to actually doing it, then it it gets lost. So I think if anything, I've just become a better a better and more confident singer.
2: Mm-hmm. Now a lot of Mountain Man's songs were acapella, mm-hmm. so I think you must have already felt comfortable singing without a kind of full arrangement behind you or a piano or a guitar to kind of establish what you're doing. What's it like singing in this music? Because you have a very, very distinctive style, the way you do it, and you interact with, with the sounds in this unique way.
3: I think there's, because of the way that I naturally write in the air or in response to what Nick is doing, and I write lyrics and melody usually at the same time, my voice is in general, I kind of think of it like a percussive instrument more than I do like a, like a narrative device or, or both things are happening at the same time. So uh, that's the thing is that because, because I think of it as an instrument unto itself, that's more percussive. It's actually quite easy. It's like being a, you know, water and more water.
2: Hmm. Uh, can we hear another song? Sure. Great.
1: It's a jump to rise, lift off right now Don't know how to swim in the air, come on now, i teach you how It's a step inside, the stratus cloud Don't know how to walk in the sky, come on now, i teach you how Let me help it, let me fight Let me remember how to live my life Will be free. No. It's serious, baby, freedom. No. It's serious,
3: That song, your reality. Nick and I hear the one in, in a different place, and we decided as we were writing it that we were going to affirm each of our counting styles in it. And I knew, in order to justify the second rotation of the verse, I wanted to have a backup part that would roll, continue to roll the song forward, but like add add kind of a different count mm-hmm. to it. For myself. Um, so I wrote that no rules part.
2: No rules, Sandy.
3: No rules, Sandy.
2: <laughs> Tell me what that means.
3: Normally, when Nick and I are uh, recording or writing together, I'll, like, secretly write something, and then the first time he'll hear it is when I record it. Um, and that was the case with this, so it was kind of a joke to him.
4: And we kept but it. But also, it just felt like... Well, when we played the song for our friend Jen, who we play everything for, she immediately was like, oh, that's got to be the title of the record. And Hmm. I think the thing that she was pointing out that we realized she was right about was just that it kind of perfectly encapsulated everything that we were feeling when we were making this thing was you know, just the last couple of years and I think everyone's going through this great re-examination of like what matters and what doesn't and what did I think was important uh, that I'm now realizing actually isn't and uh, uh, did I make the box that I see myself in? And I think for a lot of different reasons that just felt like all of that was wrapped up not only in this song, but in this whole process of making this thing. Mm. And it's also just inherently silly which is, I think, another thing we loved about it was that it, it's it's very true, but it's also kind of uh, unserious in a way that felt the way our lives feel. I don't know. I I think I feel like silliness is a is such a huge part of my emotional experience, like as a human being alive. But I hear it in almost none of the music that I listen to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's such to me. It's it's the it's the it's the other side of that doom coin, you know? It's like, uh, it's such a natural way of processing horrible things. And it's such a, like, an important, like, seasoning in in at least my emotional experience. And there's so much silliness even in this record to me, even when it's pointing at something that's very serious. Uh, and the minute she pointed that out, it's like we couldn't unsee it. Like, that mm. had to be the name of the record. I'm going to do a little...
2: uh. Rhythm nerd thing for our older listeners out there because you said you hear the one in a different place where you do, meaning the the, the first beat of the bar. Yeah, Indeed. is that right? Mm-hmm. And so you maintain that you you're playing. Yeah, basically,
4: no, you're you're starting at different points. Yes. Yeah, normally we that's the kind of thing we would resolve, or w- one of us would end up you know being quote unquote right about. Mm-hmm. But what and, once she written and the, the who lyrics would that be quote unquote it changes every time. Oh, okay. But I think once, once she had written the lyrics and they were about what they were about, it was like there was no, like we had to justify both those things. Like the mm-hmm. whole song is about letting go of that kind of arbitrary decision.
3: And having two different experiences of the together same moment. at the yeah. same time.
2: Here's the rhythm nerd part of this, which is the song In the Air Tonight, the Phil Collins song. Yeah. Yes. The drummer who played with him, who's this famous jazz drummer, Chester Thompson, always had trouble with that song. That was Chester Thompson. I didn't know that. Yeah,
4: yeah.
2: Huh. Uh, well, not playing on the record. Not on the record. Okay. Right. Uh, but he played with him live. Live. And it's because in that drum pattern, there's no one.
1: Oh my gosh! You're faked right. Him
2: out. I mean, but that's different than
4: what you're doing. You're starting the one different places, which is really interesting. Yeah, we just we our brains interpret that melody differently. I think I'm right. The funniest <laughs> part, though, is that we brought two other people in on that. So Gabriel Cahan, Cahan did the string arrangement, mm-hmm. and T.J. Miani played drums on that. And the wildest part was that Gabriel heard it the way I hear it, and T.J. heard it the way Amelia hears it. Oh. And they each tried to lean into making it so that neither of us was right. Mm-hmm. But th- we we were split evenly of all the people who played on that song. <laughs> That's how it should be. I love the string arrangement on that. It
2: And I don't know if this was conscious. It reminds me of a of a Steve Reich piece.
4: Oh, thanks.
3: That's what Gabe and I talked about that when he was going through a, a strong Steve Reich phase.
4: No the, pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. And we wanted we wanted to talk about the
4: yeah that that first loop particularly. Yeah, he's, moving in and out. Yeah, he's just so he's so good at that feeling of uh, having the strings almost like they're like a flock of birds like swarming over the top of the song Mm -hmm. you know we talked about that a lot that feeling of something fluttering over the over the top of it and he's just that it's i don't know that you feel the movement of it you almost want to like swirl your body around i want to as i'm as i'm listening to it Mm -hmm. it's so cool
0: we'll be right back with more from nick sanborn and amelia meath after a quick break Snagajob is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over six million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs, on demand, attempt to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer, where America
5: goes to hire. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History, my podcast about the overlooked and the misunderstood. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book called Outliers. It was about exceptional people, the ones who operate at the outer edges of human performance. Outliers fascinate me. And last year, I discovered an outlier in the form of a community organization, Washington State's City of Bellevue. The city wanted to improve public safety by making their roads safer. So they created something that no one had ever built before. A platform that gave road users warnings of any dangers ahead in real time. How did they build it? By using a combination of technologies. The cellular vehicle-to-everything network, T-Mobile's 5G network, and 5G-connected cameras. People driving, bicycling, walking, running, can't forget people running, and people operating the transportation network now had a way to prevent crashes. It's been a huge success. The City of Bellevue earned first place in the community category at the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards, an event that celebrates T-Mobile customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of meaningful change. If you're a T-Mobile for Business customer and your team has, like the City of Bellevue, innovated something really, really cool, I encourage you to enter. It's also a great way for outliers to be recognized in front of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Willie
0: Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw countries start a musical revolution? Lovingly dubbed the Boar's Nest, Sue's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Evan Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and T.J. Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast, Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. We're back with the rest of Bruce Hedlum's conversation with Nick
2: Sanborn and Amelia Meath. I'm not going to express this very well, but I'm going to try. Which is lots of people perform music and then you're there, oh, they're, they're singing this song, they're doing this. There's something about your music that that you seem that you're inside the song. Mm. And that's the only way I can express it. I don't... I'm not even entirely sure what it means. It's more of a feeling. But it's it's though something's swirling around and you're in the middle of it. It's very different kind of performance. Does that make any sense?
3: Yeah. I think if you're going to perform... Being a re- being a musician is such a strange thing in general because you have like two main products: you have your performance and you have the recording. Some would say you also have your persona. At first, I was really into performing, and Nick was really into recording. And now we've kind of like met in the middle and maybe shifted a little bit. Yeah, definitely. But I have a very strong belief that like if you are performing a song for somebody, it's a it's an ener you're going through an energetic shift and you're. You know, anytime you try to get someone to listen to your music, you're literally holding out your hand, being like, here, come with me Mm -hmm. to this place. And it's much more easier to get them to come with you if you promise a journey,
4: if you go there with them. Well, I also think there's a thing, a lot of, on the records at least, we're both really resistant to the idea of the vocals sounding like a performance.
1: Hmm.
4: And we want it to really feel intimate and to feel like you're there with us. And so a lot of times that leads us to using the very first take that Amelia does. Like the minute after she writes it she'll sing it into a microphone and we'll kind of think it's going to be for the demo or whatever. But like that ends up being the real take and every time we try to redo it inherently we kind of hear it as some version of a per- performance rather than her living the song. And it's it's a really sensitive and really specific thing but so much of our music is about inviting the listener in and I think that's just another way that we're really sensitive to that Mm -hmm. but it's everything's very integrated somehow and again I'm struggling to
2: explain this but it's not as though you know if you're listening to an old Ella Fitzgerald record you're like well here's where she hits that high note you're not really thinking what the band's doing behind her it may be a great record it's not a criticism but your records seem to be it's the space or something that
4: you're in thanks I also think a part of that maybe is that everything that's not her voice that's in the track, we try to make it a thing that came from her voice in some way, so if even if it's just the musical idea, like all of it to me is intended to point back towards her voice like because that's the doorway, you mm-hmm. know at least emotionally for me when I'm hearing something, it's usually the vocal if it's if it's a vocal record i'm i'm that's what I'm hearing, so a lot of our songs, the minute something distracts me from her voice we'll usually get rid of it well uh, we want all of it to be like kind of like like the realization of a dream that she's having
2: well it's interesting because a lot of electronic music almost
4: ideologically wants to eliminate human sounds or acoustic but, sounds. But ironically, to me, it's like... But all those instruments were still made by humans with this idea of perfection in them. Like, like even like an 808 drum machine. Like, that's a fascinating device to me on a human level. Just because somebody sat down and thought, all right, well, it's in 4-4 four, four and there's 16 steps. And these are what these drums sound like. And this is what swing sounds like. It, it, it's like... It's like by creating your idea of a perfection... Uh, a, idea of perfection, you're you're showing the humanity of it you're showing kind of like what we what we think of as the right quote unquote thing to do mm-hmm. that's super interesting to me i yeah. love i love incorporating those things in especially when they're right up against very broken human elements because I think it draws out like kind of the humanity, the whole thing. If that, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm saying that quite accurately.
3: I think you're totally doing it right. Also, it's the most human thing in the world, where you're, where we're like, well, it's electronic sound, as if electronics were born, <laughs> <laughs> and not made, you know, by us.
2: Uh, well, mandolins and guitars are made, hundred percent, yeah. I yeah. Guess, too, uh, you know, the like, early electronic music. A lot of those people were obsessed with. Um, the sounds they were hearing in everyday life, which was industrial, yeah, and that's what they 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 thought. Well, the m- music needs to reflect people's everyday soundscape, which is you now they thought everybody lived in the city, so it wasn't yeah. there weren't a lot of synthesizers that imitated cows. We were talking about this before. We live in a, a digital world, and those are the kind of sounds you're
4: dealing with to me the most interesting things happen when you when you push all those textures up against each other when there's this you know kind of idealized drum machine sound next to a very raw feeling vocal next to you know a, a scratchy sounding acoustic guitar that is that you can tell has been manipulated i love that feeling when when you can tell somebody's changed something the the kind of human fingerprint on that mm-hmm. even if it's an electronic sound that's when that's when all those kind of Feelings of humanity come out more to me. Mm. So for
2: example, the, the last song in your album is a big surprise because it starts with somebody strumming an acoustic guitar, mm-hmm. which I don't know if that's the first time you've done that in a song, but it's, it's, a, it's a surprise. When those acoustic sounds come in, it's, it's, a, it's a jolt. Yeah. So you have the acoustic, but then, but then I think your, your vocal is treated, isn't it? The, you ran it through something. It's not just... Well, he's a really old
4: vocoder on Mm -hmm. it oh is that right
3: we love that we love the old vocoders yeah because most of them are broken and so they do really wild and strange things. again you
4: like hear the chip like i just Mm -hmm. love that feeling but that one like you know like we to me that the vocoder in that song has just as much humanity as sam's saxophone you know it's it's because it's all coming from her voice like both the vocoder sound and sam's melodies that he's that he's playing are all are both from this very raw vocal take that she did. And it feels like they're all leading back to that same thing. Mm -hmm. It's been amazing watching you work your circuit board there.
2: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, Your toy train set.
4: Yes, my train set. Uh,
2: Yeah, It reminded me of, I don't know if you've seen those famous, uh, probably in documentaries, you know, George Martin or or, uh, Paul McCartney will demonstrate how they used faders on uh, Tomorrow Never Knows. Oh, yeah, those and, are great. And, and, and I don't know if this is actually the case. I'm sure it's not the case, but it's probably the case in pop music. It's the first time the performance was really the engineer's performance that really made that.
4: Yeah, mixer is still an instrument. That's mm-hmm. what I, I love, playing a mixer. Yeah. Um, well,
2: you did it well. It was just, it's just amazing to watch. It's, it's a very, uh, if someone's used to more traditional instruments, it's it's just an amazing thing to watch. Thanks. I mean, for people who kind of perform in this space, this kind of digital space, I would say two things. You seem fascinated by analog uh, technology. You've got a song about a train. You've got a radio song. Uh, and is it true you used old tape of your, is it your mother used to cut tape for radio?
0: Is
1: mm-hmm.
4: That, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and, we used her old uh, reel-to-reel for that. Yeah.
2: Oh, that's amazing. The second thing is, uh, and, and, you know, you've got little snatches of conversation and phone messages. Musicians now have to live in that digital world. They have to be active on social media. They have to interact with fans in a way they didn't before. Mm. Not like in the good old days of Twitter.
3: (laughs) Good old days Twitter. So nice on there.
2: And music is made in a very different way now. I'll put on a record uh, at home. And my son, who's eight, will say, well, it hasn't started yet. And I'm like, well, no, it's just really quiet. Like, you're not used to quiet music anymore. (laughs) Like Just wait for the vocal to come in. Actually, it's been on, like, the piano has been there for 30 seconds. But, you know, the range is different, everything. I know every musician is in this world now. Um, You guys sort of also exploit those things as part of your uh, sound, and I think almost part of your philosophy. What's it like being those kind of digital creatures.
3: The only way I figured out how to do it is to do it authentically, which isn't as glamorous looking as the way other people do it. In order to be able to interact with the internet in any way that feels honest, I have to be myself, which is kind of unfortunate because being yourself is embarrassing most of the time, particularly when you're when you're doing it for your job. But that's the that's the only way I've been able to do it takes a lot of energy, but because of that, because of the internet, like here we are, we're able to do this. This is our job because of the amount of people we were able to reach.
2: Mm-hmm. But your your song radio addresses that. It asks about how many clicks and have you done something so you can make the news.
3: It does. It does. <laughs> it does. Was that, that
2: was-, was that performed with or was that written with some ambivalence?
3: Yeah. Yeah, I was in a phase of songwriting where I was really into being very direct and talking about <laughs> what I was feeling. I'm, with that song in particular, I wanted to write about you know wanting to get on the radio, trying to make our sound something that was consumable by a lot of people or to be able to convince a radio promoter that it was consumable by a lot of people, but also trying to be authentic at the same time. And the way that those two things interact. Also how pop culture and media is just an excellent distractor from disaster.
2: You've mentioned disaster a couple of times during this interview. So do you see yourself sort of as a, a bulwark against disaster, your music? Or is it just what, what people have to do if they feel they're facing something terrible in life?
3: Oh, my God, no. I can't, I would never even, I think, you know, an important part of living is experiencing uh, destruction and heartbreak and sadness. And I think for me, the thing I like to think, that my hope is that the music can be company, a friend, something that people can look at and say, here's... This, this, per- this happened to them, or this is my song for, for feeling how I feel right now. It's something that can float, float people through the saddest times. Okay.
2: You guys made um, a terrific film during the pandemic where you, you did a bunch of your songs with a full band.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh which and it's called With Love and I suggest everybody will go out and watch it. What was that like? Is that the first time you would you had rearranged the songs for
4: No, we had done so we uh right in the fall of 2019 we we took that same band out on tour and we did like seven shows. We did like four cities. We didn't do very many. Mm-hmm. Um and then we put there's a there's a full-length doc of that out that you can find on there. It's just called With. And so that was kind of the first time we'd really leaned into that. We'd, we'd tried playing stuff with, with people before and it'd been great, but this was the first time we like really put a show together and and put it on for people. And then when the pandemic hit and we were putting this record out, we we realized that this could be a great excuse for us all to, if, if we could figure out a way to safely get together, that this could be an, just an amazing thing for all of us involved, that we, we missed each other so much and... We really wanted to, f- to find a way to do it. And so, you know, it was like right when testing was getting really available and, you know, we, we had this whole thing worked out, but that was kind of the whole impetus was just, we miss our friends. And the craziest part has been hearing other people who watch it, who weren't there saying that they connected with that same thing about it, that mm-hmm. it, it made them feel more together. It was, it was, I'm so grateful for the entire experience.
3: Mm-hmm. It was really fun to shoot, mostly because we hadn't gotten to play music with other people in, you know, a year. Mm-hmm. And we'd put out a record during the pandemic, Free Love. Everyone who released an artistic feat during the pandemic uh, knows the strange feeling of, like, dropping a, a pee down a a plumb line or something. Mm-hmm. So it felt really great to get to celebrate with our friends for a live stream for something that had been you know a a way of revisiting the songs that we hadn't gotten to play yet
4: Mm -hmm. and it was just it was it just existed for its own sake Mm -hmm. that was i think one thing i loved about it was there's no nobody had to do that i mean we weren't making a ton of money or anything it wasn't like you know it was just it just existed because we wanted to be together it was great
2: well i recommend it to everybody so you've got this new album out. what is next
3: Oh, we're going to tour forever. Yeah. Right now, we put the record out so fast. uh, For the first time in like seven years, we're opening for a band right now, which is really fun. But we'd already signed up to open for them before we'd written the record. Hmm. So now we're in this interesting space where we just put this record out and we're opening an arena tour.
2: Who are you opening for? Odessa. Odessa. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah so tell me what's it like playing this music to, to so many people to such a big audience
3: it's nice it's yeah. good yeah well you know when we play shows it's usually it's like 4,000 less people but mm-hmm. not that they're like comparable to our to our size yeah it's like us size times of, two it's great yeah Yeah.
2: no I I, I didn't mean like oh, because we no, no, only no. ever played to like
3: <laughs> CD <sceny laughs> bars um, I wish I miss bars it's really nice. It's interesting. It's different. Uh, it's different group of people than like our fan base. Mm-hmm. And it's a whole different job to open shows than it is to host them. So we're like getting our chops back.
4: Yeah, the wildest part is that's all we used to do. Like, that's how we kind of came up. We got a couple of great opening slots like for Tune Yards and Volcano Choir, like right when we started kind of miraculously. And we just like loved, it. we relished that feeling of like having 35 or 40 minutes or whatever to like convince everyone to like you. Mm-hmm. And we've been pretty much headlining ever since. And so it it's like, I don't know, I've I've said this before, but it feels like I'm like working out every night. It feels like we're like getting a muscle back <laughs> that we really like lax, you know, through the cushiness of everyone already knowing all the words to our songs. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's been totally great. I'm, I love it. It's like, you know, Trying to figure out what they're going to react to on any given night is so, it changes so wildly. It's cool.
3: Exactly. So we're going to finish this tour and then hopefully in 2023 we'll actually tour No Rules Sandy.
2: Right. And this is how musicians make their living now.
3: Oh, yeah. That's That's the only place where the money is. That and, you know, car commercials. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm looking
2: forward to both. Thank you so much for coming in. It's been just fabulous, and the performances were wonderful. It's just great.
4: Thank you for having Thanks us. Thanks so much for having us, yeah. Thank you.
0: Thanks to Amelia Meath and Nick Sanborn of Sylvanesso for coming through Broken Record to talk about their lives, creative process, and their new album. You can hear all of our favorite Silvanesso songs on a playlist at brokenrecordpodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Broken Record Podcast, where you can find all of our new episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at Broken Record. Broken Record is produced with help from Leah Rose, Jason Gambrell, Ben Toliday, Eric Sandler, and Jennifer Sanchez. Our editor is Sophie Crane. Our executive producer is Mia LaBelle broken record is a production of pushkin industries if you like this show and others from pushkin consider subscribing to pushkin plus pushkin plus is a podcast subscription that offers bonus content and uninterrupted ad-free listening for 4.99 a month look for pushkin plus on apple podcast subscriptions and if you like the show please remember to share rate and review us on your podcast app or themes music's by kenny beats i'm justin richmond
5: Just go to Mizora.com, musora.com, M U S O R A.com, to start a new musical journey today. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at t-mobile.com unconventional awards. See you there.